Hey everyone, welcome back to The Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I'm your host, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. Paul Pernian. Paul, how's it going, man? It's going great. So glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. This is going to be a good episode, very informative, very interesting, and I'm excited to get into it. Uh, before we jump into the topic, though, I do want to make a couple of announcements. Um, as you guys know, you can follow us for any and all updates on our Instagram page, at The Potter's House. Email is thepottershouse at gmail.com for any questions, comments, or concerns. Um, if you're listening to this on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're listening to it, uh, please go to, if you have an iPhone, please go to that purple podcast app. Uh, it used to have a P icon, but I think it has an I icon now. But click on that, scroll down, tap the stars. It really helps with the exposure of the show. And if you want to leave a review, a written review over there, um, you know, I'd, I'd happily read it and I'll read it live on the show as well. So please, again, Tap the stars, five stars really helps the show, helps the exposure. iTunes has a certain algorithm, and it would really help us a lot. So thank you guys so much for that. So uh, now as we get back into the episode, Paul, before we jump into the to the topic of this episode, um, for the listeners that don't know you, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? My name is Paul Prunian. I am a minister at Agape Christian Church in Yorba Linda, senior pastor Kuni Shorshtefan, um, and I've been here uh, living in Orange County my whole life. I uh, went to Talbot School of Theology where I got an MDiv, and I still serve at the church that I am at uh, for the last 10 years. Um, in a, I was a deacon, uh, but now just newly minted elder, presbyter. So. Congratulations, yeah. Thank you. I remember we, like, I was texting you last Sunday. And then I'm like, man, I wonder why Paul's not responding. And then I see an update on social media that you just got like ordained, like min- yeah, minted as a presbyter. So I was like, oh, okay, he was busy. He was definitely busy. But uh, congratulations and may God continue to light your path. I'm ready to go to work. Amen. Amen. So uh, today, uh, I'll kind of bring this up. So I texted you, I think it was back in October. We're in January right now. January 2021, October 2020, I texted you because I thought, oh, Paul would probably be an interesting guy to have on the podcast. He's you know, very knowledgeable. Obviously, he has seminary experience. Um, so I texted you, and then we kind of, I didn't see you for another month or so. And I, th- I thought, I saw you again at Revive. We talked about it, and we were talking about like some topics, whatever. And I was kind of thinking, I'm like, man, what, what, should, uh, what should I ask Paul to talk about on our podcast episode? And then I remembered... Um, like previously, I think this was back in September, I put a questionnaire on my Instagram story asking people what topics they want to hear. And there were you know various ones, one of which being denominations. So as, as we were talking, it kind of like randomly came to my mind like, oh, that's one that we have to get, you know, take care of because that's a big one. And, uh, you know, someone requested it. So I, br- I bring it up to you randomly like, hey, Paul, uh, what do you think about denominations? And you're like, oh, that was my specialty. Yeah. And that was awesome. And when I heard that, I'm like, all right, we're going through with this. This is awesome. This is like, this is from God. That's it. You know, drop the mic. Let's go. So I'm super excited that we get to talk about uh, denominations. Obviously, you and I both have our backgrounds in the Pente- Romanian Pentecostal denomination. Uh, and today we're going to focus on that, kind of break it down. Or you, you are going to, and I'm going to sit here and listen and, you know, take notes <laughs> and, and learn from uh, your knowledge. And then we're going to compare it to some other denominations within the Protestant circle. So. I'm excited to get started, and uh, I'm going to let you start off talking about Pentecostalism, breaking it down uh, for people, for listeners who don't know, or maybe they grew up their entire lives in Pentecostalism and still don't know what it is. That could be <laughs> that could be the case as well. But Paul, why don't you take it away? And yeah, we'll go from there. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me again. I'm excited to be here. Um, 
we we did meet at the a few times before uh, the revive event and even before that in my own community and in our my own ministry i get this question a lot and it's kind of forced me to kind of think about where i stand on a lot of issues but at the same time how i grew up uh where i came from where i am now in my faith and my walk uh with jesus christ and where kind of christianity is going to and so in preparing for this podcast, I kind of, you know, wrote this little thesis down and trying to help better understand. There seems to be a lot of confusion, a lot of cloud around kind of what's what and, you know, what's authentic, what's not. My interest in this actually came uh, a number of years ago when a pastor from uh, L.A. named John MacArthur did a Strange Fire conference. And there was a lot of controversy during my time when I was at uh, Talbot School of Theology. A lot of questions about the gifts of the Spirit roles of uh, men and women in the church and uh, different functions and wanting to know kind of where I stood on those issues and became kind of obsessed with it for a while. And so I spent a lot of time and I did uh, my final paper at Talbot uh, with the professor is really good on uh, pneumatology, which is study of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the church. So um, I haven't gotten a doctorate in that, but studied a lot and hopefully I can share some insight. But my the way I look at it, and hopefully it helps your listeners better understand, is when you look at all the different denominations out there, I was looking at Pentecostalism, and I was wanting to know within Pentecostalism, how many sub-denominations are there, or how many different groups, and there are estimates as upwards of 700. Wow. Like, how do you <laughs> keep track of that? You know, Christianity is by far the largest religion in the world. I mean, the numbers show it. I think in the largest Pentecostal denomination uh, on paper, on record, is the Assemblies of God, and they've got, they say, about 60 million uh, followers. So I, I don't know how they track that, but Pentecostalism is a force to be reckoned with in the Christian, uh, Christian community. And so my thought in comparing, you know, in comparing Pentecostalism to different denominations and how we're distinct and how the Pentecostal uh, church is distinct, um, I think... Wrestling with that question, I try to come up with a satisfying answer, and and then I try to come up with something that would fit um, kind of how church history has developed and how different denominations have come about. And I came up with this kind of mini thesis. So the development of every mainline Christian denomination or movement, including Pentecostalism, can be distinguished by a specific doctrinal distinctive um, that they emphasize, that they choose to emphasize. Um, or adhere to. And for Pentecostalism, hands down, you probably know what it is, the one thing that makes Pentecostal Pentecostal is the emphasis on speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Yes. I yeah. mean, there are other things they emphasize too, is prayer and healing and uh, all those different things. But the hallmark, if you will, is speaking in tongues. The rite of passage. That's it. Yeah. That's the rite of passage. Now, that can be pretty controversial, um, but we can get into that. And so where your church stands and where you stand on it is between you and your pastor and your congregation and your relationship with God. And you need, every person needs to come to terms with that. But I think it's helpful to look at the history and how Pentecostals have traced their tradition. And then we, we can look at the text, the biblical text, and then kind of like a brief history of Pentecostalism, um, if that helps. So first and foremost, Pentecostals trace their tradition all the way back uh, to Acts chapter 2. Pentecost um, is the 50th day from Easter commemorating the descent of the Holy Spirit on the apostles and the followers of Jesus. And believe it or not, Pentecost is a term uh, the church 
had used. But originally, before Pentecost was Pentecost, um, Pentecost was celebrated, was one of the three major uh, pilgrimage festivals of the Jews. It was a Jewish holiday, and that holiday, um, known as the Festival of Weeks, um, was one of three major pilgrimage festivals of the Jewish people. Um, First one was Passover, Mm -hmm. which commemorated, you know, um, the time where Moses and the people of Israel um, had left Egypt and um, God had delivered them from Pharaoh and from bondage of slavery, and they initiated the Passover, was initiated then, you know, angel of death passing over, you know, the Israelites and the death of the firstborn. Our church is going through that right now as we speak through our Bible study program. So that came then. And then Sukkot, which is um, also in Exodus, has to do with the tabernacle. So the people of Israel, while they're in the wilderness, they, they lived in like tents, right? And they built the tabernacle. And so um, Jewish people to this day celebrate this holiday. It's very important. They go outdoors and they celebrate a feast and they build like tents, just like you and I would go out to Sierra Nevada mountains in the summer for our weekly you know, youth retreat. And we'd go celebrate in tents and we'd gather the Jewish people would do that as well. And uh, that was to commemorate their exodus through um, um, from Egypt, through the wilderness. And then, um, believe it or not, when God gave the law to uh, the Jewish people, he gave them um, certain instructions. You know, you, you're going to bring the first fruits of your um, uh, harvest to the Lord. And that is actually what um, the Festival of Weeks celebrates, is when you bring your sacrifice to God and your first fruits to God. Um, that would be the um, offering you would give to God. And that was also part of the three celebrations. So you got Passover, um, festival of that, festival of tabernacles or tents, and then the festival of weeks. So they celebrate the first fruits. And so I thought that was kind of interesting when you look at the Pentecostal uh, movement or the day of Pentecost where the, um, uh, where the Pentecostal movement originated from is kind of like a first fruits of a, of a, where the apostles, the first fruits of, you know, converts, you know, that day when Peter got up and started preaching, um, thousands of people came to faith, you know, in Christ and started believing. And it's kind of interesting, kind of shows a parallel there too. So I thought that was really interesting. So that is how far the Pentecostal, that's where we get the term. That's where um, we originated back to the earliest apostles. And it's cool. The modern Pentecostal movement, um, however, the one that we know today has very interesting roots, and it's hard to kind of pinpoint exactly where it started, but most people agree that the Pentecostal movement emerged in the early 20th century um, by adherence to the holiness movement. So you probably have heard about this, you know, but they emphasize holiness and revival and the imminent return of Christ and the importance of um, uh, being ready for that. And so their emphasis, emphasis was on evangel- uh, evangelizing and um, restoring even the spiritual gifts um, in the church and really, you know, taking that, you know, uh, very seriously. And there were like important figures in the early uh, 20th century who um, took that and ran with it. A guy by the name of Charles Parham and William Seymour, who was part of the Azusa Street Revival right here in 1906 in L.A., um, but there's a lot of history behind these guys and where they stood. But again, um, at the end of the day, they were reading their Bibles and they got to Acts chapter two. 
and they were like, hey, you know, why doesn't this happen today? Why don't we see this? And there's a little bit too part of that movement, um, a dissatisfaction with the status quo of that day of how things were. Um, it seemed like, you know, people uh, were running their religion or the Christianity was kind of dry. Um, the church wasn't really alive. So trying to stir a revival and starting with, okay, well, how do we do that? Let's pray and seek um, the Holy Spirit in those gifts. So that's kind of in a nutshell how Pentecostal came to be today. It's it's kind of, um, if I can use this word, evolved mm-hmm. since then. Um, and there are a lot of different nuances and and different uh, branches of Pentecostalism. Uh, but for the most part, the mainline, you know, Pentecostal denominations in America tend to hold to uh, um, a kind of similar tradition, you know. So, so these two guys, uh, Charles Parham and William Seymour, um, so they, at the time in 1906, 1906, up until then, the kind of the, the, the whole point, the, the foundation of what we have as Pentecostalism today wasn't as emphasized, right? Because the, they said right here, like, um, they believe that the Holy Spirit com- communicated directly to them, but it wasn't as accepted before that. Is that correct? Is that what you're, is that what you were saying? Kind of too. Um, part of it was there were, there were before them too, um, similar movements, revivalist movements. And believe it or not, this is not the first time, um, people have tried this, uh, kind of post civil war era, you know, reconstructionist era, if you know your American history, um, there were movements like this, you know, emphasis on holiness and, and again, prayer and those things. And so, uh, another movement before Charles Parham a little earlier, a lot earlier actually was, uh, uh, by the name of uh, John Wesley, who started the Methodist movement. And he had a similar kind of experience. He was saying, well, he didn't like the how the morality um, of Christians his day, uh, the status of that was. He, he thought Christian character was so important. He wasn't seeing that. And he was kind of uh, not satisfied either with kind of how things were. And so him and his brother, Charles Wesley, kind of joined forces with others and uh, started kind of a new movement where they're, they're, pra- you know, they're evangelizing, they're preaching, and they're uh, very practical in their approach. Um, whereas, you know, people became very theologically oriented, doctrinally oriented and, and kind of cold and just, and, you know, the practical aspect of Christianity seemed to be lacking in terms of, you know, charity and, and, uh, I don't know, you I mean more kind of a free flow, if you will, of, of, of ideas and, uh, expression, not so strict when it comes to, um, liturgy in the church. I mean, they had liturgy, but um, it wasn't so strict, you know, more kind of free. And so they were exercising uh, that belief, you know, because they wanted to see more, um, uh, they wanted to see more life in the church. The church mm-hmm. was kind of dying, if you will. And so that sparked that. And then you, you've also got like holiness, revivalist movements in America and kind of, I guess you would say offshoots of that kind of domino affected. And I think, uh, Charles Parnham, who came out of Methodism, and he didn't like Methodism. He thought that Methodism kind of became too hierarchical and uh, was like, I got to do something else because I didn't like, he didn't like where things were at uh, with the church that he was attending at that time or whatever it was, and then moved on with this. But that's a long-winded answer. But Yeah, because I, I wanted to emphasize that. So I guess 1906, only recent, well, I don't want to say recent, but... <laughs> When you're judging all of human history, um, you know, 100 years ago, about 100 years ago, that's when this, you know, wave kind of started. And as you said, it kind of evolved into 
what we have today. So uh, I just thought it was interesting that up until then, you know, you had these like little sparks of revival. And then finally you have, you know, these two guys who kind of like, you know, really made a difference with the, you know, Azusa Street revival here in L.A. So, you know, I thought that was really interesting. I, I didn't know that about Pentecostalism. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of an off-the-cuff kind of thing. So with uh, what I heard about uh, Seymour was he was working with Charles Barnum at the time, but when he had gone uh, to do that, he had started a prayer meeting. And, you know, the the story goes, he, he felt a bolt of lightning, it was a jolt of energy come into him. And then just really um, exciting prayer meetings and, and enthusiasm, and people are hearing about it and gathering the church to see what's going on in this place. And people were gathering and, and they were praying and, and it's just kind of a group of guys that just felt, hey, we want we want more um, from our you know religious experience, I guess, or and and they sought to seek God on those terms. And so, how did uh, from that point on, when they started you know to do their own thing, at what point did uh, or maybe not at what point, but when did they introduce the emphasis on the spiritual gifts? When did speaking in tongues become? Uh, a staple, a milestone in, in the life of a Pentecostal. And, uh, how did that, you know, become, how did the focus of the gifts of the spirit come to be within this denomination that kind of kickstarted, uh, about a hundred years ago? I think I can write a whole paper on that. If you give me a time, <laughs> when did it exactly start, you know? Um, but from what I remember, I don't think it started until after this movement really picked up. Mm-hmm. And so I heard there were probably reports of it, um, but Charles Palm believed God, the Holy Spirit spoke to him, you know, personally. And but I, I believe what happened was he initiated the idea of uh, initial evidence of, of speaking in tongues, right? And I think that came after the fact. I think, you know, as this movement became really, really popular and people were gathering, and I'll use like an, an, an example that we recently uh, revived. Uh, we had this big revival event in Arizona. A lot of people, I heard up, upwards of like 800 attended yeah. to a thousand like and that was like you know uh, a conservative estimate and i was like man there's a lot of people in here and imagine starting a movement like that and there are so many people showing up and you know incredible things a bunch of youth and there's a bunch of people all of a sudden interested in church who don't typically attend church and it's exciting there's a lot of activity all of a sudden you know you start to get organized and people are like okay so what's going on what do you what do we believe about this and this and so um i think parham uh kind of initiated the idea of like you know, tongues being um, a part of uh, the initial, you know, uh, evidence of somebody being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I I don't recall in my reading, and I have to double check on this, so I'll, I'll get back to you. And if somebody who's listening can shed insight on this, would be awesome. Um, if he had personally experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit by speaking in tongues before the movement happened, uh, I don't know if I uh, had a, found an answer to that yet. But if somebody does have the answer to that, I would be so happy to hear that. I think he kind of um, um, developed that doctrinal stance, which makes them distinct from other uh, denominations um, later or after the fact. I don't know if that was before Azusa or after. That's a good question. So when did, when did the emphasis, I know we talked about like when, but like um, compared to the other denominations, which we're going to get to uh, in a second over here, um, you know, speaking in tongues, that was the, you know, at least in our culture, in the Romanian Pentecostal culture, um, that was the sign, the, like, the clear, distinct sign that you were baptized, baptized with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that there was a belief that before you move on to other gifts, you know, you, you first have to be speaking in tongues. So how, does, how, did that, um, how did that mentality 
just rise up within the Pentecostal community? Do all different variations of Pentecostals believe that? Uh, or is it more emphasized within a Romanian culture? How does that differ with the other Pentecostals? Uh, how, how does that go about? I'm so glad you asked this question because I've thought about this question a lot. <laughs> and I hope I can offer some insight. Um, one thing I will say if I could preface by saying this is that Romanian Pentecostals like you and I, we're kind of privileged in the sense of we're very unique. I mean, we have a very unique upbringing and how our families got here. And we're very you know conservative and, and we believe the Bible fundamentally. And I've, I was raised in Sunday school here and I, was, I learned the Bible and I heard it in church and there was a big emphasis on prayer and these things. And uh, however, uh, I think there's a very big difference between um, European Pentecostals or Romanian Pentecostals and American Pentecostals. The American Pentecostal movement, um, even where they stand on some doctrinal issues, I don't think are as conservative as Romanian Pentecostals are. Um, I really don't believe that. And I could say that because I've grown up. Um, I think we got to be very careful because within Pentecostalism, there are a lot of different like subgroups and denominations and offshoots. And there isn't really just like one size fits all here. But I will say this, though, when it comes to those issues, I think people have different perspectives. You know, you've got the two main ones that I know are Assemblies of God and Church of God. And I did a little bit of homework and we could do it if you want to Google it. I'm sure you could find it. But the Assemblies of God and the Church of God, they stand by the initial evidence. But that's because the Assemblies of God and the Church of God um, kind of follow in Parham's kind of footsteps and his um, teaching on that. And they haven't really swayed from that, although there's been dissent about it and, you know, different groups coming out of it. He, uh, the, the Assemblies of God, Church of God, or major Pentecostal uh, denominations today still adhere to that initial. I don't know if every Pentecostal denomination, there's some minor ones too, especially um, non-American ones, if you will. I don't know if they adhere to that. I don't think they do. Um some do, but I suspect, now this is just a theory, I'm not, uh, I wouldn't base any, you know, solid, you know, evidence on this, but my theory is that uh, the, the, a lot of first generation like us are becoming more and more influenced. We live in America and whatever kind of the uh, uh, main uh, thrust of uh, the teaching is in that church uh, will generally follow. Um I don't think in our Romanian American or Romanian Pentecostal churches we formulated those same um, uh, stances. Um, um, I don't unless we've adopted them from you know our American um, counterparts. So that's the way I see it. I think when I look at our churches, we were very kind of organic in the way we grew. You know, and uh, again wanted to emphasize the same things that the original holiness movement people were trying to emphasize that was personal holiness repentance hey the imminent return of the lord jesus christ uh, getting ready uh, um, encouraging the church to build up the church with you know different gifts of the of the holy spirit including you know tongues and prophecy and healing even and those different things and so those are legitimate gifts uh, outlined in the bible um, and people even today debate those issues so um yeah, what I like about, because you brought this up, like the distinction between the Romanian Pentecostals and every other Pentecostal, the American Pentecostal. I think, obviously, back in the day, you know, where our parents or grandparents grew up in Romania, their churches were obviously very conservative. 
Um, but what I feel about a lot of Romanian churches as a whole, I'm talking about as a whole organization, as a whole church, um, while they were conservative, there wasn't a lot of legalism within the church. Now, were there individuals who were legalistic? Absolutely. But I, I do not believe that legalism was taught as conservative as it was. Now, we set the foundation of conservatism within the, you know, within our churches in Romania, and they we brought it back over here. And now the the American culture influence that we have over here is just like the roofing that we're doing on top. It's like the it's like the frosting on the cake, right? Our foundation is in biblical truth, is in uh, you know the true acts of the Holy Spirit, the true gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you know we were very we're very uh, conservative on those topics. But then when we come over here, you know the foundation isn't isn't uh, influenced or impacted by the by the American culture, but just a few things here and there where we can improve. So we've seen a lot of them. You know we can look at you know our churches here in America, especially here in LA. Like we've we've progressed in a lot of ways that are um, you know. I don't want to say like more fluff, but like more in the like the aesthetics, the the sound, the uh, different ways that we can improve that doesn't impact the foundation that we believe in, which is biblical truths. And then um, especially when you're dealing with the Holy Spirit, because if you're coming as a new Christian with no foundation and you're jumping in this, you know, metaphorical tidal wave that we call the Holy Spirit, um, you can be led in so many different directions. And I think that's what we see. You know, I mean, the. The elephant in the room is 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 Bethel Redding. That's that that's where a lot of people are gravi- gravitating towards. And you know, while the, you know they have some good songs here and there, uh, it's important to note that their their teaching is 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 not right. They're, they're it's slightly twisted, and you can catch it from from Bill Johnson. So uh, I'm just trying to be careful because I know a lot of our listeners are like uh, with that Bethel, but it, but it's true. You have to call it out as it is. But that's what I really appreciate about the Romanian Pentecostals. Uh, you know, we came here. We were grounded. We were focused. We knew what was right, and then we could just build on top of it, as opposed to like changing everything out. I agree with you 100, and I'm so glad you brought that up because you know I feel a big push, and I know because I've been in ministry for a long time, working with Romanian American youth, and in our communities, and we all know each other. We're relatives and friends, but what I, one thing I've noticed was um, there seems to be a big push to be let's be let's be all English or let's be American, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think language should be a barrier. But I'm not in a rush to be westernized or Americanized necessarily, because as I look at kind of, I'm not saying every American church is like this, but if you look at kind of where the status of American Christianity is today, it's kind of discouraging. You kind of go, oh man, where where, where are they going? Um, and my fear is that we slowly get away from the Bible and fundamentalists and just very simple gospel message of you know faith and repentance and holiness. And we start to get into uh, kind of a little bit of mysticism, and and that concerns me. Yeah, cult, like cult, the culture integrated into the service, yes, into the church, into the teachings. Uh, I was, you know, after um, you know Carl Lentz's fallout this couple of months ago. That was uh, huge. Yeah, big thing. But I, what I did is like, you know, whenever things happen, like these different scandals, I kind of go back on their social media and I watch some of the videos of his like sermons and what these American pastors are teaching. And not just Lentz, like, you know, Chad Veach and, you know, Furtick and all these like, big shot guys who are very popular and have big followings. Um, I'm like, man, this is like, I hear what they're teaching. And not only is it like some of it's wrong, it's like, it's shallow. It's like, you could, you can like it's the most general thing they're talking about. They're adhering to whatever whatever's going on on in the media, whatever's going on with the culture. They're they're um, they're just being like too friendly. They're they're not preaching the word of God. 
and that's so sad and and, and that, that's that but ima- these are like more like non-denominational but imagine you, you take that and then you add like the pentecostal boost to it and you're just like <laughs> you're you're in dangerous territory at that point so having having this uh inclination um you know with this denomination without any biblical truths without any foundation without any clear-cut boundaries that you set yourself within the word of god raises a huge issue huge and you nailed it and you know we never talk about this because it's again you the elephant in the room but jesus did say hey you know many false you know messiahs mm-hmm. and false prophets have gone in there and using the term false prophet is you know we, i don't want to use that word you know lightly just to yeah. tag somebody as a false prophet but we need to be aware there are false prophets and people who are charlatans who are very I don't want to say good, but very effective at uh, manipulating people emotionally to get what they want. And some people could employ those similar tactics, you know, in, in Christian circles, in churches. So Jesus did teach us that you will know them by their fruit, not necessarily by their gifts, but by their fruits. Although gifts are important for the building up of the church, but... Um, I heard on one of your podcasts not too long ago somebody mentioning that and talking about the importance of fruit, the spiritual fruits. Oh, um, that was me. That, that was, was that, that was my uh, my l- latest sermon. I, I that's the quote I put. Like a revival is not you know defined by the the gifts of the spirit; it's defined by the fruits of the spirit. Amen. You know, if you want true genuine revival. But yeah, that, that's that, that was that's, a good message. I listened to it. I was like, man, this guy's good. <laughs> praise God. Praise God for that. Uh, hopefully, you know, remaining in biblical truth. That's like I think that's our biggest priority. Yeah. But behind all the flashy. Uh, you know, clothing, the lofty words as we're warned against in the word of God. As long as we're adhering to what his uh, word says, I think that's the most important part. It's exciting. Yeah, I love it. And uh, I love studying the Bible. I love reading the Bible. And I love you know, sharing you know, the good word. And I think the more we know about history, how we got here, uh, where we are and where we're going, I think it's very important. Um, um, so this is kind of why I'm fascinated with the subject because, you know, I see, I see you know, the church as not being idle throughout history. I see, you know, God putting on people's hearts, you know, raising up leaders and people who, you know, to, to fix, if you will, not a problem, but to 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 um, kind of bring things back into balance. Like if there's a lack of teaching on holiness or if there's a lack of teaching on um, any area, I think God will make up for it eventually. God will raise somebody who is passionate about that and and will fill what's missing in the church today. So if you look at the church today, and I want to ask you a question if I can. Sure. Um, there's always seems to be kind of like an imbalance and, you know, like the scales of justice. You know, there's always something that's missing. You know, we do church and we, we do, we have our liturgy, we've got, you know, our sermons and we've got our Bibles and we've got uh, the program down, everything's going good. We, do, we pray, we do, we do all those things. We take communion, baptism, it's fine, it's all good. But when you look at the church today, generally speaking, when you kind of take like a a survey of what's going on, um, what would you say is lacking or needing or missing um, in our church today? Well, if we're if we're talking about a lot of churches out there, yeah. uh, Christ, <laughs> I don't know. Right. Yeah, that, that's a big thing. I think there's a lack of reverence for God. I think it, it's become you know too loose too free-spirited um and it's just we've just turned away from the word of god like i said a lot of those um you know preachers that we heard they what they do is they take their ideology 
and then pick and choose verses throughout the Bible to kind of fit the ideology instead of taking a word of scripture, performing this, you know, an exegesis, drawing out the truth from it, and then having that topic, you know, be the topic that, um, you know, that convicts the heart through the Holy Spirit. So I think that is the biggest thing. There's, there's a lack of fear for God. Uh, people aren't really taking seriously. And then, um, you know, that's, that's more in the American culture. I think the Romanians were a little more, uh, you know, grounded. Uh, but, you know, as I look around, I, I think we're just not taking things seriously anymore. I think we're, we're very nonchalant or very easygoing. And um, we're doing at our youth, we're doing this discipleship series. I'm going through this book. And, and what the author says at the very beginning, he says, we've accepted this binary system where some people are full on disciples for Christ. And some people just coast, skate on by, sitting in the pews, coming once a week, being fed, going, doing their own thing. And we've accepted the fact that in this Christian walk, there's a fork in the road and that we can you know, have two different paths which is completely wrong. There's only one path of righteousness, right? We're all called to be disciples. We're all called to be serious. We're all called to read the word every single day, to do things that are pleasing to God, not to jump into secular topics, not to uh, you know prioritize other things besides God. So that's what I think is lacking. Just the the serious, uh, just the serious mindset, this mentality towards God, the second coming of Jesus and His Word. So I think. If I can answer that in a nut, not really in a nutshell, it's kind of elaborate, but that's what I would say. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Reverence. So if you're not, you know, just living a life ready for the return of Christ, which is imminent any any moment. Um, I agree. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I can add to that because that I I'm on board there. <laughs> well. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad we are in one accord, not literally, but uh, you know, <laughs> in, in biblical terms. Uh, but um, kind of jumping back on the Pentecostalism, I know we kind of talked about the charismatic movement when we introduced some of these churches. But uh, before we jump into the other um, denominations and we glaze over those, uh, one thing I want to ask is um, just the difference between what a healthy Pentecostal church ideology looks like versus like the hyper charismatic movement now i think we've kind of demonized this word in you know charismatic i think we're all in some sense you know charismatic but i think the issue is you know the line of demarcation is you know a healthy pentecostal church versus like hyper charismatics who kind of get carried away and kind of cross the boundaries um you know that that god has laid so what 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 is the difference and how do we stay on the right side of that line Great question. Um, I thought about this too, um, and I'm so glad you asked this question because at the end of the day, I think it comes down to balance. You know, when you talk about living a whole healthy life and having a balanced diet, right? Um, I'll give you an example. If all day long, all I did was read my Bible, because I'm so holy, I read my Bible, right? I just read my Bible nonstop, 24-7. Just don't even eat. I just read my Bible. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lock myself in my room for two weeks and just read my Bible, not interact with the human soul, not talk to my mother, not talk to my siblings, not talk to my pastor. I'm just going to be me and God. I'm just going to read my Bible. What do you think is eventually going to happen to me? You're going to be consumed by your own thoughts there's not going to be much of a relationship because 
you know, you, you, you would know of God through the, through the word, but you won't know God because you're not practicing his commandments as you, you know, the Bible says, if you love, if you love me, you will practice my commandments. You'll do my commandments, which is, you know, it really involves <laughs> human interaction, right? Which you're, which you're lacking in that, in that scenario. That hit me one day because human interaction is so important. As a matter of fact, Jesus one day condemned the Pharisees when he said, um, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life. But they didn't realize they were standing face to face with the author of life. The word made flesh. Like we could talk, we could read a book, right? It's so, you could read a book, but wouldn't you rather have a face to face conversation with the author? Absolutely, yeah. Jesus was saying to the Pharisees essentially this, you, you're obsessed with the scriptures. And it's, it's not a bad thing to know the scriptures and to, to know. Even Jesus said, not a dot or tittle will go from the law until all is fulfilled. So Jesus knew that every dot and tittle, he knew his scriptures. But he's saying it's so much more than that. He's saying, I'm standing here face to face with you trying to have a conversation. The equivalent would be like you're on Instagram and you're looking at all your family photos or you're looking at your loved ones when your loved one is standing face to face with you. And you could enjoy that time with them. You know, it's like, hey, here and now, put away the phone, put away the Instagram, put away the, you know, and I was in the library one day at school, hours and hours and hours just trying to master the Greek or the Hebrew or trying to, you know, understand some of these concepts. And it was driving me mad at one point because it was sucking the life and the joy out of my, you know, Christian walk, my experience. And there seemed to be lacking, you know, and I realized we, we need one another. And how do you maintain a healthy church? Here it is. Um, I'll tell you right now. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves after the whole Pentecostal experience. They devoted themselves. That means they made it a priority. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, okay, the breaking of bread, and prayers. Teaching, like healthy, sound, doctrinal teaching from the apostles themselves. Awesome. Fellowship, that means having good coffee together and hanging out and just good conversation and laughter and joy and fun and talking about all the good things that are happening in your life and sharing all your joys. Uh, breaking of bread, that's communion, right? Having meals together and prayers. They're praying constantly, nonstop. I mean, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And I think as a church, we, we forget that those are important aspects of the church. I'll give you an example. When we did the Arizona thing, we all went to go be a part of that. You know what I was shocked, but not surprised, was how many people showed up. And, mm-hmm. it, and it hit me. You know what people want? You know what people are? We want to hang out. We want to fellowship with one another. And when you're a Christian, that's awesome. When you're a Christian Romanian, that's even awesomer. Oh, yeah. When you're a Christian Romanian Pentecostal, that's it. Yeah, that's uh, you're three like, in one, yeah. <laughs> that's the trifecta there. It's like, man, we we know we, we have the same upbringing. We understand each other like... We, We're all we, technically related somehow. We, yeah, and it's it's a cool feeling because you get each other, right? And when we see f- people that we know and familiar faces and, you know, you catch a glimpse of somebody that you haven't seen in a long time, you just get excited and you feel good. And I realize, you know how important that is, that fellowship, that being together? So I, I enjoyed that aspect of this conference. I was like, man, the fact that we can be together with people and make friends, make new friends, and, and so-and-so knows so-and-so who knows so-and-so, and then now you have a new connection, you know, is kind of cool. And that is something I think in the Christian community, you'd be surprised as we're all kind of linked together some way or somehow, and God brings people together. And when we're 
uh, as a church, and we don't see church as just uh, some boring thing we got to do, but we're excited to be a part of the church. That's where the Holy Spirit's working, you know, not just, you know, in one area, but in all these areas, you know, he's, you know, uh, the teaching is on point that day. It's, it's practical. It's in the text and it's, it's hitting the hearts of people right where they're at. You know, it's relevant, if you will. Uh, there's a reverence for God at the same time. And then there's relationships. Uh, there's relationships with one another that you actually enjoy going to church. You can't wait, um, to hear the teaching. You can't wait to, uh, meet up with your friends and your family. You can't wait to, uh, fellowship and, and uh, yeah, there's so many great things, you know, we can do. And when we pray together, it's so nice, you know, that somebody's actually praying for you, you know, and you know you got support when you need it. And uh, that's when, when we see the church and how the church is alive, you know, it's like an organism, you know, it's it's constantly moving. You know, there's always something new every week and always something new, uh, not just, okay, we're going through another book of the Bible and it's very boring and the pastor's just going to read and we all go home. No, it's there's there's activity going on. And so I see um, the church kind of um, like a family, like a like a congregation of people who really love each other, really can't wait to be around one another. And, uh, you know, it's not easy always, you know, but you look forward to it. So basically to simplify your answer. Yeah. In order to, you know, st- staying on the right side of the line, because it's, it's almost like a solution for every obstacle you can face as a church right those those four pillars that we find in acts was it 242 i believe 242 242 uh you know the fellowship breaking of bread prayer sound teaching all those four things you focus on that and then you have a personal relationship with christ um i think i think that that should solve most of our problems well like i'll give you an example and since you know we can talk about sports i hope we can integrate this sure what's your favorite sport would you say i mean not you have a lot of favorite sport but what's a sport you really like that well, like to play or to watch? Or to watch, yeah. Oh, uh, well, we're you know I used to do a fantasy football podcast with a couple of my buddies, so uh, let's go with football. Okay, football, perfect. We're in the playoff season. Um, I just watched uh, you know the game last night with uh, Drew Brees and these uh, and, uh, and Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady, yeah, man, incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I what 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 an incredible group of guys. You know, what, what I've noticed is um, is so important, and all the commentators talk about it. Maybe you can shed light on this. What makes a football team a team, an entire team? Um, make it to the Super Bowl. What makes them a a great all around wholesome team? What are well, some things th- that? Well, the answer you're looking for is the you know the coaching, but it's all it's it's quarterback, uh, offensive line, defense, defense. That's it. Okay, and those are so you have good leadership. You have a good yeah. coach. Um, you have great players on your team. Yeah. Would you say that um, interpersonal relationships on the team are important too? Oh, absolutely. Especially with football, yeah. it's a team sport. They have chemistry, yeah. right? Like you need the, the chemistry. Yeah. You got to know. You got to be around your teammates. You got to trust your teammates, right? Um, you got to have a common goal and a vision, right? They share hotel rooms together and flights and a lot of time together. And then they develop these deep relationships with one another. Was it Gronkowski and Brady are on the same yeah. team now? Like how? Yeah, they're, they're, they, well, they've been on the same team back when they were in the Patriots, and see. now they're back on the same team. They're, they're best buds. You can't separate yeah. the two, right? <laughs> now, I look at sports, and I, I go, man, see, there's so much more than this guy can throw a ball. Oh, yeah. This guy's so good. If that guy's ego, I mean, he's above the team. Um, he can be the best all-star player, but if his teammates don't get along, I mean— he, you know, he's, he's in for a rough season. And so team dynamics are so important on so many different levels, the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator, right? And everybody's got to be working together. And, you know, you can have average team players, you know, but if everybody has really good chemistry and everybody's working together, and I think that team can go really far. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes sense. You, you put all those things together, you put that formula together, 
you know, that's where, you know, you'll be in good shape. So one of the guys at your church uh, here told me we were at the, the last one in LA, the last revive conference and mm-hmm. we we're playing volleyball. And there was an American team at the, you know, just a random group of American, like high school, college students playing these Romanian guys. And these Romanian guys were like built, man. They were like, they could serve, they could spike. I mean, they were like solid individual players and ended up being beat by this American team. And I was just sitting there going, what happened? You guys had all the muscle on your team. What's going on? And and he tells me, he goes, you know what, they're, you know, they weren't as um, like strong as us or tall as us, but they were a better team. Mm-hmm. They were like average, but they were, they worked together better. They communicated together better. And uh, that's how they, and they beat them like bad on the volleyball. And I remember listening to that and hearing that. And I said, man, how true is that of church? How true is that of every business and organization and any team or group? I mean, you got to have great interpersonal dynamics. And if you have great communication, great relationships with one another, um, not perfect, but good, healthy ones, I think you'll go far. And I think the same is true with the church. So there it is. That's, that's the solution. Um, jumping back on topic. I know we kind of, you know, it's fun. I like these conversations. because It's fun. We kind of get into stuff that we're passionate about. And then we kind of just like, it gives me an opportunity to share too. So, you know, a lot of time I just kind of, you know, sit back and relax, but you know, it, gets, it keeps me on my toes. But um, so we talked about Pentecostalism right now. We have a couple more that we're going to mention here, uh, Baptist, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Methodism. Um, let's start off Let's start off with Baptist in comparison with Pentecostalism, because we do have a pretty large Baptist Romanian community, uh, you know, within you know, here in the U.S. And, uh, you know, we have, you know, a couple of churches down here in Southern California, all over the place. Um, and, you know, we have family members who are Baptists and that. So what are, what are like some distinguishing factors between these two denominations? And um, are, you know, would you say that any of them are problematic, you know, standalone or um, they're just like just two different, um, I don't know, two different just things, part of one whole, two different parts of a whole. So how would you describe the dynamic and the um, distinction between the two? Perfect. Great question. Again, um, we have more in common than we have differences. Mm-hmm. We got to establish that. We have like way more in common than we have differences. Uh, a Baptist, where, what is a Baptist compared to a, a Pentecostal? And again, my thesis, you know, every denomination with its title, Pentecostal Baptist, has a particular emphasis that makes them distinct from others. They, they focus more energy, more of their time, more of their focus on on this particular doctrinal issue. For the Pentecostal, speaking in tongues, Holy Spirit, what do you think it is for the Baptist? You could put two and two together. Baptism? That's it, baptism. Yeah, yeah they they uh, started off, uh, I think, after the Reformation as a group of Anabaptists, they were called. Um, and Anna from the Greek, uh, to be re-baptized again. So before then, infant baptism was a thing in the church, you know, in the Catholic Church. And even Lutherans to this day, who separated, you know, from the Catholic Church, there was that big, you know, ordeal there with Martin Luther. Uh, he even held to infant baptism. He didn't uh, depart from that. He, he separated from the church when it had to do with faith and works. But you have uh, the Anabaptists are saying, no, you, you know, you got to be baptized, you know, believer's baptism. You know, a baby doesn't know. I mean, when you, when you know, when you can make that decision yeah. for yourself. Yeah. A baby doesn't have that, you know. And so the movements, I think it was like in the 17th century around there, um, really picked up steam um, with uh, a group of English separatists, they call it. They, they, now, the, 
there's a lot of church history here, but basically in a nutshell, the Church of England was tied to the Catholic Church and then split. There's this whole ordeal with like King Henry the Eighth, I believe. And uh once he got a divorce, yeah, all he couldn't, that. then he could. Yeah. He's like, I'll start my own church or I'll yeah. be the head of the church or whatever. Yeah. So he basically uh separated, you know, from the church there and established, you know, the hierarchy there in England, which turned out to be um uh not so good for, you know, Puritans again, uh, and people like us kind of who don't want to follow every tradition, you know, we're looked as, as dissenters, you know? Um, and there was a group of people saying, no, you know what the problem is repentance. That's why people are falling away from the church. That's why people are becoming cold is because they, you know, they believe they were born, you know, Christian and, you know, they belong to this. My grandfather, great, great grandfather was a Christian and I'm a Christian cause I was born in a Christian family. And they really strongly emphasize the importance of believers baptism. No, you Paul Prunian, you, Marcus, have to come to your own personal terms when you're an adult and you're, you can, you're, you're, of a, you're of age. You can come up with your own, whether or not you believe in, and then you got to be baptized in water by full immersion or whatever. There's different approaches to baptism, sprinkling and pouring, but um, the popular one is the uh, full immersion like we practice in Pentecostal churches. So they, so we look at that and we go, oh, that's not like, you know, we're, you know, we come from a Pentecostal background. We've been doing that a long time. That's not controversial for us. But for them at that time, that was huge. That was like the controversy. And you get in trouble for that back then. I mean, they were, you know, putting people to death for heresies and things like that. And the, the government had um, a lot of say in that. Now, that's where really this comes down to uh, the government's role in the lives of people. And this happened in Europe and in England where there wasn't really uh, a separation of church and state, if you will. But now we're in America where we have a whole new, you know, continent of ideas uh, founded by a lot of these people who fled from Europe from religious oppression and government overreach and established, uh, you know, the Constitution of the United States and belief in, uh, um, you know, you know, the church, uh, the idea that uh, the government cannot establish a denomination or a church to be like the major, you know, denomination. Like I think in some countries, even today, they have like a, ma a main religion, you know, that's like the official religion of this country. We don't have that in the United States. We're not allowed to um, mm -hmm. because of our, our constitution. Yeah. So, so basically what you're saying is that, you know, from the Baptist perspective, it's not like, you know, one side, in, you know, emphasizes or one side's for this, you know, the Holy Spirit and the speaking in tongues. And the other side is not. It's more so, you know, one side focuses on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Like that's their thing. And the other side kind of puts more emphasis on the baptism in water, the believer's baptism. So it's 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 almost in a sense where you can still coexist, but like you said, that we have more similarities than we do differences. Yeah, yeah. John the Baptizer, you know, they're they're reading and they're going, "Wow, John the Baptizer told people to repent, you know, and be baptized." So, wow, we got to do the same. We got to, you know, that's how their thinking goes. And um, by the way, and you, we, I'm praying, you know, and. And I, and I hope we can bridge those gaps in our generation. I think we'll even see new denominations form in our lifetime, believe it or not, um, or emerging. Uh, you've got Baptists, believe it or not. Um, it's hard to believe, but I think they're out there. They're, they're charismatic Baptists. Yeah. I mean, I listened to uh, my favorite preacher to listen to. He's now gone to be with the Lord, but Adrian Rogers. He was a Southern Baptist no in Tennessee. And I mean, I would consider him like a, you know, slightly charismatic, not, not charismatic in the bad connotation like we talked about before, but, you know, more charismatic Baptist. He still believed in the works of the spirit. Um, you know, he would really emphasize on that, but it was very sound teaching. It was very to the point. There was no 
you know, extra biblical practices. There was no fluff to it. It wasn't fancy, but it was the word of God. But it was, you know, it was, it was, it was more animated than a than a Johnny Mac, than a John MacArthur, you know, that we're mm. that we're kind of used to. Um, but no, like I, I totally agree, and I, I I'm I'm fond of you know that that kind of style, that the the more conservative, you know, a lot of people look down upon. Like if you look in the world, uh, the ones that they, I mean, they kind of laugh at the Pentecostals, but the ones that they they hate the most are the Southern Baptists. That's the one. That's those are the ones that they make fun of the most. They hate the most. They ridicule the the most. And I think it's because there's a certain, you know, part of like holiness and righteousness that comes with just being in the Word and doing all all the things according to Scripture. So that could be a attack from the enemy. Yeah. No, I agree with that because anytime you read the Bible, right, and you say, okay, God, help me get my life in order. Where where like where can we get back on track if we've fallen off track and how can we reorient our lives back to you you start reading the bible naturally i think in the reading of the bible the holy spirit's going to convict you right and he's going to like put things on your heart and you're going to say wow this is what is missing in our generation this is something we really need to focus on um spiritual gifts it could be whatever it is so every denomination again you look at them uh, they, they have that thing that one thing that like drives them at least in that generation and and sometimes it, go, it goes a few generations and it carries over. But even within these denominations, you have divergences and uh, branches. Um, and again, you can't just pinpoint like one group. I, the church is so like, it's like an amoeba. Like it's, yeah. just, it's always like morphing and adapting to circumstances. Uh, not that the truths are changing at all, but I'm just saying as the times change, you know, the churches, you know, uh, are, are people are following suit because probably the major thing that kickstarted off all this was the invention of the printing press. Mm -hmm. That was like the iPhone 12 of that day. Yeah. Like everybody was like, wow, we can actually read and understand in our own language um, what's going on. And uh, that's where the media first started becoming very popular and, and, and people started using this as a means to, and the church, believe it or not, was printing out, you know, articles and, and sermons and, 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 and newspapers were starting to become more popular and people could read, hey, events. And when, you know, little things that would happen were big deal, you know. Now we're like printing press times, you know, a thousand, you know. Yeah. With the iPhone, information's coming at us like nonstop. I mean, you could look up right now on your phone anything you want, mm-hmm. any answer to any question you want and like get to the bottom of it. And research is coming together on, on levels like never before. And it's this exciting time. We live like in a new like a revolutionary technological age, information age, um, unprecedented, man, I think in the times uh, we live in, uh, in, in, in the history of the world, rather. I don't think there's ever been a time like this, or there will be. I, I don't, like, what's next? Artificial intelligence, like, imputing ideas into your mind? I'm sure know. they were asking that 100 years ago, you know, yeah. like, what's next? <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah. But it's great, right? Like, look at all this information and knowledge, and, I mean, it's coming at us, and, I mean, you know, it's it's just really incredible um, the speed at which information is coming at it. But when the word came, you know, when the printing press came out, you could like read and 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 for yourself and and uh, and Bible translation started to become more uh, prolific. You know, and and but you know that also raised controversies and new questions within the Catholic Church at the time or the uh, the mainline church at the time, which was the Catholic Church. Um, and so that was really important. Uh, for people to see for themselves, but then they would raise questions. Hey, well, this preacher is saying one thing, but the Bible's saying thing, you know, this and different interpretations are coming out. And I don't know the way I see it. God worked through that. 
you know, yeah. to kind of refine the church. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, that's the, you know, maybe not just the, the, the difference, but the similarities between these different things. Um, so quickly in the next 10 minutes, since we are, we are pushing some time right now, sure. let's just power through to, you know, Epis- Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Methodism. I'm going to be honest. I'm not very familiar with these denominations. I see them like on those old churches in Orange County where I had my piano recitals back in the day. I mean, I just saw the name on that church and then that's it. So I'm not very familiar, but, uh, you know, quickly going through uh, these different denominations, how, uh, you know, what are they about? What are they, like you said, there's a certain Mm -hmm. emphasis to each one of these. What are they about in that regard? And how does it differ from Pentecostalism? I'm going to give you a quick rundown through history. Okay. Sure. Let's start off with Jesus. Okay, and I'm going to, in less than five minutes, I'm going to try to do as best I can. 2,000 years. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, <laughs> came, established the church, um, said, I'll be back. Apostles sent out all over the world. Church is growing, like, manifold. The Roman Empire, uh, the emperor at the time, uh, Const- uh, Constantine, uh, declared, you know, Christianity, it recognized Christianity, uh, I think even had an encounter with God himself and uh, became a Christian. But I think at that point it was more politically convenient, but I don't know we can get into that. But uh, nonetheless, Christianity is now the dominant. What happened is, you know, the church is growing all over through, through Europe and a great schism occurred, you know, um, between um, the church. And now up until this point, the church was one. And then you have the, you know, East, you know, Orthodox church and the Catholic church and they split. And there's more, there's books that have been written about this. You can look up. Uh, from that point, you got Orthodox and Catholic, which still to this day, you know, uh, don't draw. And by the way, Romania caught up. If you look at a map of the Great Schism, Romania kind of caught in the middle of that. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so our people know about that. From the Catholic, you've got kind of the Reform Movement. The Protestants, actually the Catholics, I think, gave us that term Protestant. You know, we try to, Martin Luther tried to reform the church, you know, and he was excommunicated. And we were labeled Protestants because protesting all the time. But the reform movement, if you will, the reform Christian movement, and then the church, the Catholic church went through its own kind of mini reformation as well. It was actually pretty significant. But then you've got what happened, the Catholic church still in existence there, the reformation, reformation happening, you know, political powers are shifting, um, Church of England and Catholic church. There was a major disagreement that came down with again government and authority the king's role and the church's role at the time with the pope and um that eventually led to the church of england or today you know they draw their line um uh it's it's called the anglican church Mm -hmm. the anglican church and so they believe in apostolic success succession so they can trace their church's history they they believe and the orthodox believe the same thing the catholic church believe this the anglicans uh, i believe believe this about themselves too we maintain faithfulness um, the succession all the way back to the apostles. So we're maintaining that line of succession. You know, the church, it's like been handed down from generation to generation and we've held it like faithful, like we're the, like the authentic church. And then the Orthodox like, no, we are. And the Catholic like, no, we are. Anglican church is like, no, we are. How did the Episcopalian church come about? Uh, significant, uh, event called the American revolution. Uh, what happened is, uh, sun never sets on the British Empire. So you have all these uh, expansion of the British Empire, right? And what's expanding with the British Empire? British influence, British religion, right? The dominant Anglican church. So they're, they're moving to the colonies. Uh, it wasn't the United States. It was the Americas. And uh, their colonies were not, there weren't states, there were colonies, you know. And uh, Virginia, or all these major ones as well. And 
what's happening is the you know as these colonies are being built so are churches churches are being built and uh what happened was what happens when a group of colonies come together and declare independence from their uh mother nation you know you get a war boom you get a war yeah and you cut ties you know a lot of ties and it's very nasty right what happens to the churches that have the ties to the church of england you gotta yeah i gotta cut it in two yeah a lot of support but the way the american colonies and the states now are looking at it is hey we can sustain ourselves we're we're okay we don't want taxation without representation you know they're on the other side of this you know atlantic and we are and we want to do our own thing Uh, ironically enough i think george washington was part of the um, uh, anglican church and then eventually became the episcopal church so instead of being tied to the leaders there episcopal comes from bishop or kind of regional directors if you will um, and so the Episcopal Church is basically the American version of the Church of England, the Anglican Church. Boom. There it is. There it is. So that's Episcopalian. Yeah, American version of the Anglican Church. That's something I didn't know, but yeah, I do know now. But they maintain a lot of the practices and the hierarchies. Okay. So, yeah, basically the, the structure of their of their clergy, basically, that mm-hmm. clerical structure. Okay, that makes sense. Now, uh what about the Presbyterians? Because I know that's um, I'm, actually I, I don't know, but I, I see it more often. I see it more often around than Episcopalian and Methodist. I think Presbyterians very common, very common, and it's very important because the rest of these denominations focus on church government, mm-hmm. and uh, that's their thing. So you, your Presbytery is a church government made up of elders. So you know, in the Catholic Church or in the Catholic structure, the hierarchy, um, you've got you know, you know. Pope, cardinals, archbishops, um, bishops, priests, uh, deacons, all the way down. I mean, that's the order, you know. And and when you look at uh, the uh, churches, you, what happens when you cut ties politically with somebody um, and you become an independent church? Who's the head now? I mean, the next person becomes the head, right? And so same thing you could say with the uh, other churches there is they be kind of become their own independent entities. Um, and there, I wrote it down there and I think I have it in my head, but you've got a, you know, very basic congregational style church, right? Mm-hmm. Just, the congregation runs a church. It's self-funded. It's small congregational, just family owned kind of a thing. And then from there you move up to a presbytery. Well, it's not really run by the congregants. The congregants come together and they vote and they say, okay, we're going to pick elders in the church, like a board of directors. And those elders are going to basically manage, you know, important administrative matters in the church. And, and that's called the presbytery. And do they have like one person kind of leading it or is it, how does, how does that work? Or they have like a senior I would compare it elder. to like, yeah, I would compare it to, I don't think they have a senior leader. Um, I think I would kind of compare it to like Congress and I have to double check. That like a British it. parliament in a, in a way, yeah, kind of. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They don't really have a like, you know, like a head bishop, you know, like you do um, in an Episcopal church, you know, that, which is the next level up is mm-hmm. they have like one guy who like oversees it all and uh, you know the elders get together and maybe they elect somebody to like be the presiding you know chair but they alternate or i have to look into that i don't know too much about uh but that specifically how that works but in essence is the elders run the church yeah and you have here written i just want to uh mention this because you have your written in your notes that um a lot of the you know or the general presbyterian church here in the u.s uh, you know, has more liberal agendas and supports the LGBTQ community and, and, and a lot of those. So is that, uh, is that like ice an isolated thing or is it pretty much all throughout? I believe it's, star- it's, it's, uh, 
pretty pervasive now because mm-hmm. essentially what happened was years ago, and this is before like um, our lifetime, um, post Civil War. You know, you you had a group of people coming up within the church. It was a revivalist movement, and you had fundamentalists, and then you have more liberal progressives. Um, and what happened was the conservatives and the liberals clashed, and uh, the liberals were more open interpretation, you know, to the Bible text approach. And then you had basically uh, a more conservative branch saying, no, we got to be more fundamentalist, right? And stick with these things. Um, What happened was eventually the churches split. They didn't see eye to eye. And so one took the title Presbyterian Church of United States of America, USA, and one America. Now, as time went on and things developed, um, the Presbyterian Church USA unashamedly, uh, unapologetically accepts LGBT um, into their congregation as members. And I'm pretty sure, I correct me if I'm wrong, if a listener can follow, but I believe they even ordain like uh, gay ministers. I've I seen, I've seen some stuff in the news. I'm, just, I'm not sure if it's Presbyterian, but it, it wouldn't, yeah. it, it seems plausible. They have like, you know, you know, some churches even have like rainbow flags, you know, yeah. on top of their, you mm-hmm. know, cause they, now I think they want to be open to the LGBT and welcome them, you know, into the church. I think that's how it started. But I think once a person becomes a member into that church, they have like voting power. You know, they yeah. have like, they can sway certain things. And when when you're deciding on doctrinal statements, like, hey, what does the Bible say about this? If you have enough congregants or members in your congregation who are sympathetic to that, they're gonna sway the direction of that church. You know, and I think over time, what happened is. Once it started unraveling like that, I mean, you can't go back. I mean, oh, yeah. You got to get rid of all your members, you know, basically. But I think the PCA, America Church, saw that happen way before and separated themselves. And believe it or not, churches are very territorial. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're the first Baptist church of this or we're the first this, you know. And they've established like a stronghold and buildings and real estate properties, uh, you know, hard to come by, in, you know, and, and people want that. And so they fight over properties i think and and control and influence and uh it's kind of sad but it's the reality of the world we live in you know politics even in the church so that's presbyterian influenced by a board of directors and the last one we have the methodists so how, how did that come to be and uh, what are they about basically same story john wesley um his brother charles wesley but john wesley um uh wasn't satisfied he, he looked at the state of uh his uh church and and friends and people around him in his neighborhood and he didn't like how there was lacking like moral like morality christian character just like people were cold and just not really practicing and living out their christian faith and he said this can't be and you know surprisingly you know he 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 uh disagreed with kind of a lot of um mainline teachings at the time um heavily influenced by calvinist you know theology and uh calvinist followers rather and uh, he just kind of became, uh, 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 you know, sick and tired of, you know, the way things were and took a more practical approach to like evangelism and charity and and, uh, and preaching and, and sanctification. He focused big on, again, sanctification. And I think that's where a lot of the inspiration for the holiness movement came out. It's like, hey, guys, you know, if we're sinning, if people are living their lives and saying, we got to get back to God, we got to get back to, you know, you know, personal sanctification. So he geared more of his sermons and his approach to that. And you say here uh, also that, um, you know, they lean Arminian versus, you know, in the Arminian versus Calvinism debate argument, whatever you want to call it. So they're, they're very much on that side of things, which is, which kind of aligns to Pentecostalism in a way. So that, I mean, that's the way that you can kind of 
Um, you know, because I would say, you know, when it comes to Calvinism, Reformed, you know, all that kind of stuff, um, you would see more of the Baptists kind of, you know, lean, not, not, I'm not saying all Baptists are like this, but usually when you become, you know, when you're a cessationist, right, when you don't believe that the works of the Holy Spirit still happen today, you only believe it happened back in the Apostles' days, um, typically you have to go route through the Baptist denomination, because Pentecostalism, obviously, that's not the case. That's a direct contradiction of what the Pentecostals believe. And then, um, you know, he, it pretty much aligns with the Methodists, right? In the fact that they support Arminian views, Arminian values, as opposed to the Cal- Calvinism side of the argument. Yeah, no, definitely. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, and uh, those are those are like, you know, big debates, you know, when it comes to like soteriology and how a person saved. But basically, if you take an idea um, that's not properly presented, uh, you're in danger of falling into like a fallacy, I would call it logical reasoning. And I think the same is true when it applies to like Calvinism. Um, and Armenianism, I think, is sort of a response, again, to like, what's going on? You know, we're preaching. Um, uh, I think Armenian and his followers were worried that, you know, the gospel wasn't being effective anymore because uh, people just kind of felt overly secure, overly confident in their own salvation and and weren't really practicing what they preached, you know, and they got sick of that and and said, well, what's the problem? And so they're getting to, well, once saved, always saved kind of an idea that we have today from Calvinistic teaching is like, oh, I, I heard the gospel. I was born a Christian. I was baptized as an infant. I'm good. I did my part. And no, God requires a, a lot of us, right? A lot more from us. And, uh, and uh, we got to go out and and preach the gospel and really put it into practice. And uh, so they they would um, use that you know your salvation as kind of like a like a where you're standing with God as kind of a, a tool, if you will, um, to combat kind of the laziness or the lethargic you know Christian attitude of their day that was predominant. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So. And that's definitely an interesting topic for you know maybe I'll have a debate. One time I'll get two different people, one like well-versed in Calvinistic beliefs and then another, you know, on the Armenian side and maybe we'll have a debate. That's interesting. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Special episode on that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe like a (laughs) three-parter depending on how long it goes. But uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul, for doing this. Thank you for, um, you know, using your research and your background to kind of inform us on, you know, the different Protestant denominations we have out there. And what we have learned or what we learned is that we do have a lot of similarities and that, you know, the main thing is that there is a certain emphasis in each denomination, something they like to focus on, something they like to gravitate towards uh, because, it, you know, like you said earlier, it's hard to maintain a perfect balance in a church. Um, it, it's like an amoeba. It forms, it, it goes in this direction, it goes in that direction while it still holds to biblical truth. So um, yeah, thank you for enlightening us on that. Are there any, uh, is there one last statement you want to make regarding the denominations that we have or, you know, which one is the best one, AKA Pentecostalism, <laughs> since we have that background or uh, what, what, what's, what do you want to say to the listeners out there? I should say, I love you guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Marcus, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I love this podcast and may God continue to bless you. Um, keep reading God's word, keep praying and uh, God be with you in all things you do. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. And Paul, if people want to reach you on, uh, on the internet, on social media, where can they find you? 
Um, you can find me through, you know, my personal Instagram page. I have one. Um, if you need my number, call me too. Uh, I'm available too for the youth ministry there at church at Agape OC. Uh, you can look me up there as well. But uh, but again, uh, feel free to text, reach out, even through this podcast if you want to. Um, yeah, I love coming on and serving in any way I can. Absolutely. And I'll definitely tag your Instagram handle on the post that we're going to have before the episode releases. So thanks again, Paul, for all that you've done. Thanks for being here. Thanks for the uh, just the informative conversation that we had about denominations. So uh, thank you guys for listening so much. Like I said, you can follow us for any and all updates on our Instagram at the Potter's House. Um, please leave a review. Go tap the stars on that purple icon on your phone, Apple Podcast. it's called. It's through iTunes. The algorithm really helps the exposure of the show, so please tap the stars, leave a written review. I'll read it. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. A lot of exciting things coming up, and stay tuned for any and all updates that we will have. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a roller coaster of a of a ride, so it, it'll be fun. And thank you guys for all the support, your kind words, uh, just the fact that you're listening is, is is such a blessing, and it's just true evidence that God's uh, continuing to work in this ministry. So thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, we will see you next time. 